0: Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you today because in this episode, I sit down with Mallory Wolfgram, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Minnesota. She has been married for eight years and has a two-year-old son, and her goal is to help happy couples get the support and tools they need to stop arguing in circles and start connecting in conflict. And Mallory and her husband, Strons joined together on their Instagram Make Marriage Work to share tips and resources to help happy couples argue better and connect more. And this was a little bit of a full circle moment because Mallory and I have been connected since pretty much the very beginning of my You Love, when learn journey. And I followed her and her husband's page for a while. I still have screenshots of things that I had um, saved from like tips of hers or things like that. And so whether or not you're in a relationship or whether or not you're in a marriage or whether or not you even want to be married, that's not the point. But just hearing Mallory's wisdom for how to strengthen relationships is so wonderful. So I think you're going to love this episode and let's get into it. Hi, Mallory. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. And I feel like I am a broken record now. I say this in a lot of my interviews lately, but I had followed your page and I feel like we had been connected Mm -hmm. on social media really since the beginning of You Love and You Learn. So it's really fun. It feels like a full circle moment to kind of get your thoughts on couples and relationships and especially the topic that we're going to cover today of like conflict and repair, because I feel like that's been an area that you've really shared a lot about and helped me understand. So I'm glad the You Love and You Learn community can hear more from you too. Amazing. Yeah, I'm so
1: excited. And it is so fun to even have this amount of time to actually talk in person and chat because we've been like Instagram friends for so long.
0: Exactly. So I want to start with kind of like a simple, yet maybe not so simple question, which is that your Instagram handle has been Make Marriage Work. Mm -hmm. So what does making a marriage work mean or represent to you? That's a great question. I don't think I've actually been asked that, maybe
1: ever. And that's a great (laughs) question. Yeah. So I think for me, I became a a licensed marriage and family therapist as a newlywed, which is just kind of an interesting life experience. So I was learning how to be a therapist to couples while trying to figure out how to be a young married person. And I quickly learned, as we've all heard, that marriage and relationships take a lot of work, but I was always like, what does that mean? Like, I don't really understand what that means. And so for me, making it work and having it take work is just kind of daily intentional awareness and energy and connection points with our partner. And just like, I think another, the word work, another reason why I use that is like how beautifully relationships can work. If you do put in that daily intentional energy and connection with your partner, And they can work so well and they really can work beautifully. And there's like resources and tools and support we can get to have it work well. And I hope my page is one of those resources. And I hope me as a therapist is one of those
0: resources. So I think that's where it came from. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And you've shared kind of like in your story and background on your website that when you first got married, you didn't feel like you had the skills to resolve conflict, which is obviously something that if we don't feel like we can resolve conflict, then we might not feel like our marriage or relationship, we can just say relationship too, for anyone listening that's not married, um, Mm -hmm. is not really working. So. If that is part of someone's story, like, can you share more maybe about how you can relate to them or like how you realized that navigating conflict became difficult for you as a newlywed? Yes, for
1: sure. sure. (laughs) So, what I always say, and like working with so many couples too, is most of us, at least I think millennials and older, didn't get a very good blueprint for conflict from our parents because I think there wasn't great resources or like resources or research around that at the time. And so I think for me, I got married pretty quickly and pretty young for a variety of reasons we don't need to get into, (laughs) but um, basically like we loved loved each other very much, but I remember like, I have a very vivid image of like me in the fetal position crying in our new apartment as newlyweds Mm. and my husband in the corner, like typing really like vigorously, like doing homework because we were still in college and like, we were both, I now can look back and be like, we were both really struggling in our attachment, in our connection. We didn't know how to reconnect and we really wanted to, but we were going to these like unhealthy ways of coping because we couldn't find each other. Mm-hmm. And so it was really cool then go to grad school and be learning all these different strategies and ways of understanding relationships ourselves and ourselves and why we show up the way we do and figure out that taking that and like going to therapy ourselves and putting the work in, we can actually learn to understand our conflict cycle so much better and it can get better and it can get easier and it doesn't necessarily ever go away, but it can become quicker and we can understand it and know how to approach it and recognize when we get stuck. And like, it can just be like, okay, here's our complex cycle. Let's figure this out together rather than fetal position and homework in the corner,
0: if that (laughs) makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So what I heard from that is almost like when you feel like you don't know how to navigate conflict, it's like you just get stuck in these repetitive cycles. And I'm assuming most of them are kind of like protective mechanisms on both people's sides because it doesn't feel fully safe to like re-engage and find each other, as you said, in that moment. And so is the first step for someone to kind of acknowledge that within their own relationship is just, would it be to like, just see what their patterns currently are? Mm -hmm. Or how did you start piecing together they're like oh we're in a cycle and it's a yeah. predictable cycle
1: yes that's a great question and that is one of the things so I do emotionally focused couples therapy primarily which is comes from Sue Johnson she has a great book hold me tight if anyone wants to read it but that is one of the first things she says is starting to be able to label and identify our conflict cycle when it shows up and she's very like kind of theatrical <laughs> and so she likes to call it like It could be your tornado that shows up or a hurricane or like, you can name it something like that. To me, I think it's easiest to just be like our conflict cycle is showing up right now Mm
0: -hmm. and we
1: either need to take a break or we need to try to talk about it differently because what we're doing isn't working. But to just recognize most couples have kind of a very similar pattern that shows up and to call it out rather than just spiral in it for a long time. Mm -hmm is a good first step to do as a couple so that we can start recognizing it and it can feel less scary and kind of all consuming.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. And a lot of people in my community, especially, but then I think just a lot of people in general is, you know, this question or this fear of having resistance to conflict at all. Like, is this bad? Does that mean that I'm in the wrong relationship? Like just all of those fears. And like you said, it could be maybe a learned pattern, what they did or didn't see growing up. But what is your response when someone comes to you and feels like conflict is bad or, should be avoided at all costs? Yes, that is a great question. And it's interesting because in
1: some ways I've always been the one in my relationship to be like, let's talk about it, let's figure it out and kind of push things. But in other ways, I get more scared by the conflict than I think my husband does. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the very first time it was A couple months after we got married and we had some kind of very silly trigger lead to an argument where my husband like raised his voice more than I had heard before in frustration. Mm -hmm. And I just like totally shut down and started having these really negative thoughts of like, oh, we're getting divorced. This isn't going to work. This is so bad. Like we're having this huge conflict. This is really scary. Like all these negative thoughts just flooded in because I was so dysregulated and ungrounded. And and the trigger was literally like, if he liked the Christmas present I gave, We're not (laughs) so like very low stakes, but it felt big and scary. And so I think to answer your question, like starting to notice what negative thoughts come up when conflict happens, and start to get curious about why they do so for me that stemmed a lot back to like things I saw in my parents relationship that I didn't want to model myself and so seeing parts of that show up really made me panic like maybe this isn't right um, but I think it was also a lack of confidence that I didn't know how to resolve it like it mm-hmm. it was one of the first conflicts we had and it was scary and so not having the confidence that is built over time with like productively resolving conflict I didn't have that yet and didn't have that mm. trust and so if people listening are having that big fear come up, those would be maybe two questions to look at is what specific fears come up and where do those fears come from? And then is there room to grow trust between you in being able to resolve conflict when the big scary feelings come up?
0: Mm, Yeah, I love that. And I feel like you talked about almost two different pieces of the puzzle here, which is one, like your own regulation. When conflict comes up and if people don't feel like they know how to regulate when conflict comes up it's like no wonder why you're scared of conflict because then it feels like every time conflict comes up like there's this big scary reaction and of course that's not necessarily automatically in our control but we can then tend to ourselves and respond when that reaction comes up but the second component you brought up was like maybe it feels big and scary because you haven't had the experience yet of having Mm -hmm. good repair within the partnership within the dynamic so I'd love to explore both of those. I actually was planning to talk about both of them anyway, but you teed it off perfectly. But if someone notices that they get really you know, wound up for lack of a better term, when conflict comes up, what do you advise or what's your best experiences like Mm -hmm. of taking some time to reconnect back to yourself first before Mm -hmm. trying to fully repair?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And regulation has been like a big thing. My husband and I have been talking about lately because we have a (laughs) two-year-old
0: Mm-hmm. and so
1: he has started tantruming which is totally healthy and appropriate but so dysregulating and mm-hmm. then both my husband and I get dysregulated and then we're snapping at each other and we're trying to figure out how to help our son regulate and it's like a whole new ball game. so we've been talking a lot about regulating and I've also been noticing that more with my couples just from a different lens so kind of the two things that came to mind for me are one just like the very basic regulation tactics that I'm guessing most people have heard, but maybe need practice applying, like just Mm -hmm. noticing how your body feels when it's dysregulated, like noticing your chest tighten or your stomach sink, or you get hotter or your hands feel tight, like starting to label what happens physically in your body is a big part that will help you kind of be more in tune with your body and be able to show up for your body and soothe your body. So that'd be one thing is like recognizing what's changing in your body and then trying to take some deep breaths or move your body, like go on a walk or any kind of mindfulness exercises would be like really ideal, but are like the hard part is that's so difficult to do when you're like Mm -hmm. in the middle of a conflict. So then that leads me into relationally, again, like we just talked about recognizing when we get in our conflict cycle and then recognizing when we are too dysregulated to productively solve it. Mm -hmm. And then we need a break, which is one of my favorite like basic relationship skills to talk about. I'm sure you know all about it and talk about it as well. I just think it's so important and so difficult to do, even though it's very basic. Yeah. So I think that's another thing couples can work on together is starting to say, okay, this isn't going well. I, I talk about it like we're starting to feel like we're going in circles. We're not getting anywhere, almost like we're banging mm-hmm. our head against the wall kind of feeling. That's really good signal that a break would be productive. Mm-hmm. And then actually taking that break like 30 minutes or so to self-soothe is really effective, but it's so hard. Like it sounds so simple, but it is not simple in the moment because your brain wants to just figure it out.
0: Mm, yeah. It's almost like that uncertainty of the unresolved conflict feels especially challenging. And mm-hmm. I think also too, um first off, thank you for sharing those tips about like the self-regulation and then the reminder to take a break. I think that's so important. And I think like just as simple as like literally saying, I think we need to pause. Like it can just be that simple, but I almost think then there's the whole different dynamic of different ways people respond to breaks. So like some people might really want to come back and talk Mm -hmm. about it right away, whereas some people might need more of that downtime to kind of get their brain organized or like just wrap their head around how they want to show up. So obviously, you know, we don't have to get into a whole thing on attachment and all of that right now. But at a basic level, if you have someone that wants to regroup faster and then someone who needs much more time how do you usually work with couples of like what should the person who really wants to regroup faster do and Mm -hmm. what should the person who wants more space do to try and better compromise with each Mm other
1: can I ask you a question before I answer that question because I know you talk a lot about anxiety and relationships is Mm -hmm. most of your community anxiously attached or depends
0: I would say it depends I think that there's some like like mixed of like fearful avoidant as well because I'll just share like my experience is like I am questioning like do I love Nate enough whereas I feel like Mm -hmm. typical anxious attachment thoughts would be like do they love me enough however if Nate was taking a lot of distance from me then Mm -hmm. I would start saying like oh like does he still care so I think it kind of flips depending on how our partner is showing up um so yeah Perfect. And that's so true. And, and why I asked is just because I think either way in a relationship,
1: it's helpful to know that statistically you're going to have one partner who is less interested in taking a break and one partner who is like much more interested in taking a break. Like Mm -hmm. just that that's very, very normal, I think is sometimes helpful rather than like thinking, oh, there's something wrong with us. We both want to approach it so differently. And like, Mm -hmm. yes, that creates a block, but it's like almost all relationships have that dynamic. Um, And like you said, depending on who your partner is, you might shift and how you show up in it. It just ends up that way. And so recognizing that, and that's why I say like building trust is so important in conflict and building trust that if we ask for a break, our part, okay. Let me figure out how to say this. So we're going to say, I'll I'll use me as an example. So I am the one who's less interested in taking the break and more anxious about, will we come back to it? I want to just like go at it. And my husband is very thrilled to take breaks um, because he just needs time to process and that's easier for him. So um, recognizing that it's going to be harder for me to walk away and I need to build trust that if I do my husband Strons is going to come back in 30 minutes or sometime in that day to work through it with me. And that's going to help me self-soothe and has helped me self-soothed over the years is being able to tell myself, we're taking this break. It's not because he's shutting me out. This is going to help us. He's going to come back and it'll go better that next time. So that's work I have to do. And then the work he has to do is be willing to take that risk to come back to me. Um, And so he's worked over the years to tell himself, this is scary to go back into this could blow up again, that's uncomfortable. But I also know that we've worked on this, and it tends to go better. And I'm going to give it another shot. And I know Mallory's going to try to show up differently, right. So it's a lot of that like self talk work in
0: those moments and building trust that it can work well. If that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. And I think what's interesting is like, cause I'm in the middle of a group coaching program right now and there's all different, you know, women in different relationship lengths and you hear different stories where like, maybe someone's newer into their relationship and they haven't built that same level of trust of like, how do we come back and repair? And then there's even people who have been in longer term relationships, but maybe they still don't feel like they have the right tools yeah. to come back to that. And so I want to reiterate what you said earlier about not only like the trusting of, you know, growing the trust, sorry, over time with how long you've been together, but then also not only time being important, but actually the right skills and feeling like you're resolving conflict in a way that works for everyone involved.
1: Yes, exactly. It's not building trust, just happening naturally over time. It's building trust, using these skills and taking risks with each other and self-soothing and showing up more productively for each other, that's going to build the trust. And sometimes you could do that on your own. Sometimes you need therapy. Sometimes you need group coaching stuff. Like sometimes you need extra support. We couldn't have done it without my grad school program and probably without some therapy. Like it's not natural. You have to work at it.
0: Totally. So I want to talk a little bit more about like the actual disagreement itself and then move into repair. But on your website, you share that you help people master the skills and tools they need to feel seen, heard and understood during arguments to help them yeah. enjoy their relationship more so aside from kind of like the tool of maybe taking a break mm-hmm. i loved i loved specifically like the words feeling seen heard and understood because i feel like that's really obviously like what everybody wants yeah. um and that's a great way to feel more connected to your partner so in the midst of a disagreement let's say you've taken a break already you're kind mm-hmm. of now coming back to try and understand each other better feel seen how can someone listening help their partner feel more seen or understood in the midst of conflict mm-hmm so you're asking how can they
1: help their partner feel more seen maybe as well as feel more seen themselves or understand? Yeah,
0: Cause I feel like whoever's listening, they can control obviously how they're showing up. And then of course yeah. it's hopefully mirrored back to them and they feel seen or heard, but yeah. I would love to give them something they can practice. Um, Cause or that's the practice. only thing they can really control. Yeah. That's a sweet thought. Ooh, that's like, that's the deep stuff and the deep work.
1: And it's, <laughs> It's complex, but what what comes to mind is the word validation. So the hope is after the break, we're not coming back attacking each other or like focusing on the logistics or the triggers, right? We're coming back saying like, ouch, that really hurts. And this is how it impacted me. And this is, you know, what I think happened and where we got off, off the rails kind of thing. And one place I see couples get really stuck is getting very practical almost in how they're talking about it or logistics right talking about the trigger versus the process or the conflict and so going into it thinking like okay maybe the trigger was the christmas present reaction or whatever it is but i want to go back into it thinking how is my partner hurting and how can i help them feel less alone with that hurt and another block that sometimes shows up is feeling like i didn't mean to hurt them like my intention wasn't to hurt them and so i always say that's like you have to notice that like sinking feeling of like oh I accidentally harmed my partner. I did something or said something and that caused them pain. And like, that's so uncomfortable. And sometimes you want to defend it and like explain it, but that's almost never going to be helpful. And so instead, again, I just think of it as like, you feel the sinking feeling in your stomach and you just kind of take this deep breath and recognize like, it really sucks that I unintentionally hurt my partner. And what they need from me is not an explanation, but for me to see and acknowledge and own that hurt I caused Mm -hmm. and to let them know they're not alone in it and that it makes sense and that you're going to work on showing up for them differently in the future.
0: Yeah, that's such a beautiful notion because... I hear the word kind of like ownership and responsibility. And even if maybe your partner did something that hurt you too, there was some contribution on your end that often is probably leaving them feeling hurt too. And obviously we're not saying take 100% responsibility and your partner never take responsibility. But I feel like what I try to work on with my clients is like, how can you take some percentage of the pie of responsibility or ownership here? Even if yes, there's still another part of it that feels like you were hurt too. Too. And I think that's a beautiful way to reconnect. And instead of just like you did this, or you did that, it's like, here's how I can own my contribution here. And hopefully, then you get a chance to share like your hurt as well. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if someone maybe they're kind of on the process to maybe repairing a little bit more. And there was something tangible that came out of the argument as like, Mm -hmm. Ooh, I realized maybe I didn't express a need clearly, or maybe like my expectations were off and we're kind of coming out of this disagreement, realizing maybe there needs to be a tangible step forward. Taken, mm-hmm. how can someone better communicate a need or an expectation with their partner without the other person getting defensive and feeling like they're doing something wrong, but rather collaborating on the request together?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm I'm guessing you've used Gottman's criticism versus complaint before. I'm guessing you've heard about that, but is it okay if I give a
0: brief summary? Yeah, definitely. I've heard of it, but I feel like it's always great, especially for someone listening to like hear it if they haven't come across it. And I still learn new things every time when I hear people explain it. So (laughs) yeah, this is one of my favorite, just like language pieces to give to
1: people because it's so helpful in differentiating kind of how we communicate a need in more of an attacking way versus a productive way. Um, so it comes from the Gottman Institute and it's the difference between a criticism or a complaint. So a criticism, they define as this like global overarching negative attack on our partner when we're using words like always or never, like you never do this, you're always doing this or you're so lazy, right? Those are really negative kind of overarching labels to give our partner and they will almost always elicit defensiveness or shut down or a negative reaction. Like there's nowhere to really go when you get criticized other than more conflict. Um, so those are not productive, not helpful things we want to avoid. But like you're saying, it is really important to be able to go to a partner and say, this is the need I have. This is something I need you to work on with me or a change that would be really meaningful for you to make, right? That's a very important relationship skill. And so being able to do that in more of a complaint, which gets a bad rep, like that's like one of my clients I was talking to about this recently. It's like, but a complaint sounds bad. And I'm like, it is kind of like it has a bad reputation in our culture, but to be able to give a complaint of when you do this, it doesn't feel good. And I'd like you to do something differently to help me is a very important relationship skill. So the Gottman Institute has researched and found that just the more specific you can get in when you did this, it caused me to feel this way. And if you change in this way, that will help me to feel better, more secure, less hurt by that interaction is your best chance of having them hear you and get a productive outcome from that. And again, I think it circles back to what we were just talking about of your partner then has to be able to take that like deep breath and feel that sinking in their stomach of like, oh, like I didn't mean to, or I don't feel like I should need to change. Like they have to be able to really take in what you're saying and have a willingness to hear you and work on that with you.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm getting my phone out now um, in the video, because I feel like the last few questions I had were related directly to something I had screenshot from you over (laughs) two years ago now. So it's kind of funny, because now that I'm engaged, I feel like this advice is especially relevant. But also, I feel like it doesn't necessarily need to be if you're engaged, it can just be like best advice for any couple looking to deepen their relationship. But in an Ask Me Anything you had done, uh, you did share best advice that you had for engaged couples. And I just want to like read through some of it and get your opinion on maybe adding some extra color to it. So the first piece was reading a relationship book together and you shared hold me tight as the recommendation. Mm -hmm. I still have that in my um, storage. I need to actually get it out and read it, but I've also read seven principles for making marriage work by John Gottman. So I guess just a question in response to this, when you share like reading a relationship book together, do you Mm -hmm. feel like this is something that couples should really kind of almost do in sort of like a book club type way or that they each read it on their own and just kind of like share their insights. Like how would you say that this either in your own experience or with your clients has been beneficial and what could you share with someone who's like, oh, I feel like this is awkward to do. Like maybe share a little bit more on that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I guess like, so part of why I shared that is like one of the easiest things and best things a couple can do is because it's so cost effective, right? You get so mm-hmm. much good stuff in like a $15 book or whatever it is. Um So it's much more affordable than therapy or coaching and it's just accessible. And I'm like very aware that Right. Out of all the hundreds of couples I've seen, very few have sat down and gotten through an entire book together. Like it's just not Mm -hmm. something I've seen be super, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of people be able to take the time to do that. So what I would say advice wise is if one of you is willing to read it and then bring up concepts that you're learning throughout, do that. If you both want to sit down and skim through it and find things that stick out to you and that works for you guys, do that. If you pull it out once a month or once a year and like do a chapter together, do that. Like it doesn't have to be like, let's get it done in this month and like causing all this anxiety or stress or pressure. It should be like, oh, we want to work on something or learn something new together. Here's a way we can do it. And here's a person more motivated, like be flexible with yourselves and just do it in a way that's going to feel like light and positive.
0: Yeah, Does that makes sense? Totally. Definitely makes sense. And I guess that kind of leads to the second point you had mentioned a little bit, like it's a less expensive version of therapy. But the next Mm -hmm. piece of advice you shared was try at least a few sessions of premarital Mm -hmm. or just like general counseling or therapy. So I take it you are pro therapy, obviously, from your own experience, (laughs) and then being a therapist, what, what do you have to say to people who maybe still think kind of like therapy is like only for problems? Like, what's your experience Mm -hmm. been not only getting to support people as a therapist, but then in your own marriage, how has that helped you? And what did you bring to your therapist? Like, was it all problems or was it proactive? Like, tell us a little bit more about how that looked. Okay. Beautiful question. Mm-hmm. So two thoughts come up are
1: one. I love sharing the statistic of basically the sooner, I don't have the numbers, but the sooner you go in, the more effective therapy is going to be, mm-hmm. which a lot of times our culture has this stigma around it of like, it's only for like when you're on the verge of divorce and like before then, like don't go in because that's embarrassing, whatever it is. So reframing that to know that the data actually supports couples who go in before they're in that big, scary problem area are going to have better outcomes. And so thinking about it that way of like, we're being proactive, like you said, using it more as like dentist appointments, right? We go not because all of our teeth are falling out, but because we value our teeth health and we want to like keep an eye on it and keep them healthy. And so... Kind of a couple things. Yes, about our experience with therapy and how I view therapy both as a client and with my couples is I want to form relationships with a couples therapist or with my clients, my couples that can be used like on and off as needed. And that's mm-hmm. not every therapist has that style. But most most of the time they're coming in, they're wanting to work on a goal. And hopefully we get good progress with that goal. And then maybe they'll be like, we're in a good space, we are going to take a break right now. Great, do that. And then like things change. For instance, I had my son two years ago, and whoo, did that change our conflict cycle and our life and our stress and all these things. And so we restarted couples therapy about a year ago. And And don't go weekly. That's another thing I like to tell people. It doesn't have to be like super rigorous. It can just be having a support system that you can go and say, we're blocked here. We need help. We're getting stuck. Like we thought we had this figured out before our baby and now everything's different and we're kind of disoriented again. And it can just be so helpful to get that more organized and get good support around it. So yeah, I don't know. I hope that that feels like a little bit of a different narrative around therapy than some people have. And just asking therapists, like, how do you approach it? And do you have that kind of flexibility and finding people who... Love to work with newer couples or couples who aren't on the brink of divorce. Like that's some of my favorite couples to work with. And so I know there's a lot of therapists out there who feel the same way that they want to dig in and help you guys get the foundation that can keep you strong and connected over the years.
0: Yeah, totally. And I know you did say earlier, obviously, like therapy isn't always an option for people. So I do love, you know, some of the books that you shared, do feel a little bit more interactive and give you these prompts and exercises. So both of those feel really helpful. And then one of your last kind of themes of advice for engaged or just any general relationship really is to build healthy relationship habits. And so if it's cool with you, I just want to go through each of them really quickly. Um, You shared one of the healthy relationship habits is repair every argument. So we kind of have touched on that a little bit. But what is like, what do you define as repairing the argument? And then what is like one step that someone can take to make sure that they're doing their part to repair? Yeah. It's so funny to have you read like a post from a
1: long time ago and like <laughs> just, just compare it to things I'm posting now. It's so interesting, but it's similar, which is good. Yeah. So to me, that goes back to kind of the make marriage work thing we were talking about. I think that's part of making marriage work and putting work into marriage or any relationship is being willing to have those hard conversations and stick with them until you guys both feel relief and resolve. And that's kind of just depends on the person. So some people might be like, I'm gonna you apologize. Like that's all I need. Other people like me (laughs) might want to go a little bit deeper or figure out like, what can we do differently? Or I want to understand this better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it varies couple to couple on kind of what that need is. But I think the important thing is to avoid brushing it under the rug and building resentment or negative feelings towards our partner. So keeping an eye on that. So if you're noticing there's like conflict, but it happened like two years ago, but I still think about it and it still bothers me, but I don't know how to bring it up. Really trying to honor what your body's telling you and something important probably happened there and maybe trying to bring it up with your partner, or maybe that's a good time to pull in a therapist and help them have them help you navigate that. So just really checking in with your body of like, this is something small that I can kind of let go. It isn't that big of a deal versus this really deserves more attention and support. And I deserve to ask that from my partner.
0: Totally. And I feel like with the whole body thing, it's more like checking, at least for me, like with my clients, it's like, does this feel like I'm having a a full nervous system response to this topic? Um, And then like, if so, like, at least I can just decide, okay, is this something maybe that I need to address internally? Like, do I need to just like release some of the expectation or pressure here? Or do I need to directly take this into my relationship? So thanks for bringing that piece in. Uh, The second habit that you shared for people is communicating needs clearly. So we kind of touched on this already, which was great. It was kind of already woven into the conversation, but I can just... Say from my own experience, like when I've been able to just say, like, this is what I'm hoping for, or like the other day, like Nate and I were just um, moving internationally, and I did some of the admin stuff while he was at the office working, since I have more of a flexible schedule. And there Mm -hmm. was one day where I just felt Like I had really done a lot and he probably didn't even know that I had done a lot, but I was starting to be like, oh, like, I feel like I'm almost at the point of feeling resentful that he hasn't appreciated what I'm doing. And so Mm -hmm. I had a need for appreciation in that moment. And while we were walking to get dinner, I was like, hey, I just would love to hear some appreciation for all of the work that I've been doing over the last couple of weeks to kind of get us ready for the move. And then he was like, Oh yeah, like, thank you so much. And it, it, even though like some people might hear that and be like, Oh, like cringe. Why'd you have to ask for that? It still felt so validating to hear. And I felt like he wouldn't have known that I was expecting that because he didn't tangibly see all of the work that I was doing. And so that's just my own personal example. Um, but I don't know if you have anything to add to that or like how you might have expressed it differently or something like that.
1: No, I love that. And it brings up. I love preaching, (laughs) like, ask for what you need, right? And there is that stigma around, like, if you have to ask for it, then, like, it's not meaningful. But really, like, none of us can read our partner's minds. And it's so helpful to know what they're needing. And the more you do that, the more you can kind of build trust that it can be genuine, even if you do ask for it. So I love that example. That's a great example. And I think that I guess the only other kind of thing I would maybe add is just sometimes it's going to be deeper, more complex needs that are scary to share or really vulnerable to share. Um, you're maybe not sure how your partner is going to respond, but often those are the ones that are like the most important. And so again, honoring that need that you have and just continuing to work at it until you really feel like your partner can see it and understand it and get the support you need if you're getting stuck. But there's kind of like a spectrum, I guess I'm just thinking of like, that's that's really lovely, like day-to-day need that you could just do that little check-in and feel that resolve. And then there's also gonna to be like bigger, deeper hurts or complexities in relationships Mm -hmm. that might require more of a sit down conversation or more intense vulnerability and making sure your partner can do their part to show up for you. And you could do your part to be really clear with what's going on and what you need.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that in. And if someone maybe feels like they have one of those bigger vulnerable needs, Mm -hmm. maybe like they do bring it to their partner and- They're trying to kind of work on it together. Would you say that it's 100% on the partner to meet that need? Or is it like a collaboration of like, I have this need. Can we get creative and how I, you, and my community around me can meet the need? Like, when do we, when is it a need that like really only our partner can be kind of contributing to? And when is it time to turn inward and be like, maybe the need that I have, I'm like putting on that person, but it's not fully on them to meet it. Yeah.
1: It's a really great question. And I, I'm a big, like, I, I totally agree like finding friends, community, individual therapy, you know, all the things to support. And like we've talked about kind of your own self-soothing you can do, and you're like catching your own negative patterns that are contributing to getting stuck is all super important and should be in the room in these conversations. And I guess what comes to mind, like EFT, the emotionally focused therapy that I do, like the most beautiful moments are kind of what we talked about earlier, like Presenting that need of like, I just need to know you aren't going to leave me or that Mm. you love me or that I'm enough for you, right? These really deep emotional needs that Mm. really all that is needed often is reassurance.
0: Mm-hmm. and just like
1: words to that. And sometimes actions are an important part of that, but to learn to be able to kind of share our biggest fears in the relationship and have our partner just hear them and reassure us that they're there. You're enough. I'm not going anywhere. I mm-hmm. love you. All those things is like so important. And it sounds trite maybe, but to really be in that space together
0: yeah,
1: is I think what I hope all couples either can do or are working and getting to the point that they can do. Cause that's such an important piece in having a secure and lasting relationship, but it's hard. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thanks for bringing those specific examples in. Cause now I kind of get where you're going with it, which is like, I just want to feel loved. And I want to feel Mm -hmm. like you see me and you think that I'm enough. So yeah, those deep, almost like human fears that all of us have and being Mm -hmm. able to feel like our partner is able to meet us with that. So I love Mm -hmm. that. Thank you. Um, Last few questions here. So the final healthy relationship habit that you shared was to focus on staying emotionally in tune with each other. And I know that that's kind of been something that you have shared openly about on your Instagram as like a skill that you've really, worked on with your husband. So what does being emotionally in tune mean? And then how can someone practice that in their relationship?
1: Yeah, that's a good question to kind of define that. So emotional engagement is one of the pillars of attachment and having a secure attachment. And what I kind of think about with that is having enough check-ins. Some of them are going to be verbal. Like, how are you feeling? Are you doing okay? Like you seem tense. It's like, Reading body language, it's having touch points of like going up and like touching their back and saying, like, how's it going? Right. It's, it's just knowing that our partner is like aware of us and how we're doing and paying mm-hmm. attention to how our partner is doing. And it's this kind of like invisible connection that we feel, even if like, like my husband's in the other room working right now, but I know that if I went in there and sat down with a heavy sigh, he'd be like, what's going on? Like that mm-hmm. kind of feeling of being able to understand and be emotionally engaged. And I think part of that is if you're feeling like you don't have that with your partner, I would say part of that is starting to practice labeling our emotions and just putting words to it. So maybe you see your partner side and you're like, are they stressed? Are they mad? Are they overwhelmed? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. And starting to get really specific and label feelings um, so that we can start to develop like a clearer picture of our our emotional selves, in our relationship. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, I love that. And a friend recently and I were talking about how her and her husband had to kind of set like a new, I wouldn't say like a rule, but it was more just like a new way to check in with each other. Like Mm -hmm. if one of them was frustrated about something, they would kind of learn to proactively say like, this isn't related to us. Like it's just, I had a busy day at work or like I'm Mm -hmm. feeling stressed with X, Y, Z and being able to have like the foresight to share that with your partner. Because obviously if we are, very emotionally in tune and we start to notice our partner's frustration depending on how secure we feel in that moment we might take it personally and it definitely isn't Mm -hmm. always personal so I think that's another way too of you know setting some guardrails around like when I'm feeling this way maybe you know and that gets again uh, trust is built over time but you start Mm -hmm. to learn like what are the ways we can check in on each other's emotions and do almost like a pulse check
1: yeah I love that Just being willing to have those little, like, it doesn't have to be an hour long emotional conversation, right? Like you're saying, I could be like, you seem stressed. Are we good? And it's like, yeah, I just got a stressful email from my boss or whatever it is and that and just like just these little moments where we keep a gauge on how we're each doing.
0: Mm, love that, and I would almost say too, like starting with your own emotional attunement can be mm-hmm. big. Like if someone yeah. feels like they don't know what emotions they're feeling, like starting there. And I have recommended like a bunch of times just the feelings wheel to people love because it. I feel like when you're mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, I'm anxious. It's like, is that actually the feeling that I'm experiencing, right. or like the emotion, or is it I feel overwhelmed? I feel helpless like those are kind of different energies and just labeling everything as anxiety can be not only confusing for us but then our partner might not really know how to support us if we just always say oh yeah i'm anxious right Yeah, I feel
1: like anxiety is like a symptom. Anxiety could be the core emotion, but it's often like a symptom of a lot of different emotions, too.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, love that. Okay. Well, before I ask my final two questions, is there anything else on what we've talked about so far that you feel is relevant to add into the conversation?
1: I don't think so. You've been asking great questions. I feel like we're covering a lot of good, important pieces, so nothing's sticking out. Cool.
0: Okay. Well, a question I ask all my guests because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast. What is one thing you have learned about love that you would want to leave listeners with? That's a lovely question.
1: I think what comes to mind and and probably partially because my husband and I had a conflict this weekend and we've been working through it like sporadically which happens in parenthood I've learned (laughs) you take the little windows you can get to kind of dive into that but I think again kind of almost circling back to what we started with is to me a beautiful connected secure relationship can and does have very dark scary painful moments like we're going to tap into intense hurt because there's such vulnerability in a committed romantic relationship and so I think What I've learned about that is despite that being so scary and heavy and hard, it also creates the possibility to have just the most lovely, safe, secure repair moments that feel, I think, infinitely better than the dark moments feel heavy if that mm. makes sense. So to be able to have a partner who you can trust to work with you through those dark moments and be someone to lean on and be a safe person that's working at this with you just feels so good. I don't know, that seems like a dumb word, but so, mm-hmm. so lovely and important that it, it makes all those hard moments worth it. And I guess when I say that and talking to anyone listening, who's feeling stuck and having more dark moments than those good moments, Lovely repair moments is just, I hope that they can find support and work together with their partner and that their partner is working just as hard as they are to get to that point where they can have those lovely repair moments that make it all worth it and and have that safety and security in their relationship because everyone does deserve that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great answer. And it's such a good reminder, because I do think that people who are going through those dark moments, as we've acknowledged earlier, especially someone who's conflict diverse, or they just learned that that was really bad, or they saw too much of it. And so they really want to avoid it. It's like, sometimes we just need that reality check that yeah, there's going to be challenges, but we can become so capable of moving through them. We just sometimes need a little bit of information that maybe we didn't have access to yet. And so that's why I love having these types of conversation. And really, there's just so many any nuggets for people to take away from today. So I'm hoping today is a great starting place for them either way. And where can people stay connected with you or what do you have going on if people want to learn more about your work? Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for asking. Um,
1: Make marriage work on Instagram, like we talked about, and that's kind of where I'm most active and most connecting with people. Um, And then I have a free like little mini workbook right now, at my link in bio or on my website that gives you a couple relationship vocabulary words um to kind of add that will, I think, be helpful with kind of this repair part we're talking about if people want that. And I have some openings for both therapy and coaching if any couples are interested in working with me and send me a message if you have any questions or if I
0: can help in any way. So yeah, Instagram's the best touch point probably. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mallory. It was great to have this conversation and thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the you Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, The more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.